0: I think Fanon also would hate watching the Super Bowl and seeing end racism at the end of the at the end of the end. (laughs) uh, Fanon Fanon is a revolutionary Marxist, and he's very much against uh, identity politics in the way that it would be uh, normally thrown around as an as an insult today.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. Why don't we get right.
0: in? I I have a little bit of an intro because I'm not okay, sure okay. that everyone has Just, uh, sure. heard of Fanon before, and I'm going to situate him with Sartre and Merleau-Ponty, who are kind of some of his uh, intellectual heroes. So he is part of French intellectualism version one, I'd say, um, which includes... Uh, Sartre, uh, de Beauvoir, Lacan, Merleau-Ponty. And the thing that we can call back to Pilpod episode 12 that goes all the way back to uh, their youth was they sat in on these lectures by a guy named Alexander Kojev. And I think we did, uh, I think Pilpod 12 was on that one, which is the Hegelian dialectic of recognition. Now we know all of them Kind of split off and did their own thing with the dialectic of of recognition. And in summary, it is to be recognized as a subject or to be a subject at all. Really, is to be seen as a subject by another. Now, this process is u- universal, apparently, um, phenomenal, linguistic, existential. Each of these guys has a different have a different account of that, um, and Simone de Beauvoir. And Fanon comes to mainland France after the war. Uh, He fought for the the free French in the Caribbean who were against the Vichy French government. So he was on the right side, we'll say. Um, And he experienced a whole bunch of racism in the armed forces. So he shows up to France and is reading Merleau-Ponty, going to Merleau-Ponty's lectures, reading Sartre, who's the big, big name in the 50s, and he doesn't have the experience of being recognized. So despite the fact that he's an intellectual, very well-educated, that he has medals for fighting Nazis, he comes from the French uh, Caribbean to France proper, but still treated as a, a specimen of his race, an exotic race, because he's black, so. An, an other. <laughs> another, exactly, he says those that in uh, black skin, white masks. We read from his other most famous or his other famous book, which is Wretched of the Earth. So this leads, sorry, I'm almost done. This leads to his take on the dialectic of recognition, which is to say, yeah, it's all well and good for white people to write about phenomenology and how one comes to be a subject, but because I'm black, I'll never be a subject in the eyes of French society. Um, And this is the book, Black Skin, White Masks, um, which says, not only do white French subjects see uh, black French subjects as secondary, but black French subjects also see themselves as secondary because the only logic of the world that they live in, of the dialectic of recognition that they live in, is one of French superiority, colonist superiority. So everything that is white then stands on the side of civilization, rationality, culture, and everything black is just the negation of those things. So anti-rational, primitive. And because he's got black skin, he says, no matter what he accomplishes, his status of recognition is always as other, which is the negation of a positive subject. And the solution to this is to fight, which is why he's, he's, a, he's against... Um, identity politics or I'm I'm making that claim because you can't just say end racism in the end zone of the Super Bowl to end racism because if you're, if the master- Not with that
1: attitude you can't.
0: <laughs> if the master of the dialectic tries to end racism for you, they still have no reason to respect you. They have no reason to respect that you have your own agency because they're being benevolent by ending racism so that you like have a better life. So- his main point and why he uh, advocates for violence um, in, in post-colonial situations is that the master, as, as the other, will never recognize you unless you fight. So putting end racism in the end zone is probably against <laughs> that goal. And his, he, he became a revolutionary uh, in Algeria during the War of uh, Algerian Independence in, what, what was it, the 50s?
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, if, that's uh, that's my introduction. In case you haven't haven't heard uh, of it before, and of course, if you want to uh, if if you want to understand the ways that you know racial tensions are covered over by a kind of veneer of mythology, right? You can read that Barthes analysis of the, uh, of the black soldiers saluting the French flag, and you get the very same vibe from that analysis as you do from what you might get an analysis of those sort of anti-racist messages they have inserted into Super Bowl games. It's a kind of mythology that covers over the racial tension rather than rather than exposes it and deals with it for what it is. <laughs>
1: I think also that one of the things that comes from that book, in addition to like all the stuff that you very articulately pointed out, pills, uh, is the fact that, and this points to the James Lindsay uh, issue that we began with. uh, There's this kind of tendency, even on the part. Can you
0: quickly just explain who James Lindsay is? (laughs) For don't look him up, please. Do not Google him, for for the (laughs) love of God. You will, you will want to walk onto the subway tracks in a, in yeah. a, in a video game.
1: <laughs> well, I'm reviewing his book, Race Marxism, as we speak, so I can tell you that that's really how you will feel, right? It, you'll want to just bang your head in uh, and say no more after a point. Uh, but anyway, he's one of the so-called uh, squared group, uh, and he later co-authored a book called Cynical Theories um, that, you know, basically tried to make a liberal critique uh, of identity politics and postmodernism. Whatever you think of that, uh, he's kind of broken off from that group right now, uh, since that group was largely liberal in its orientation, left liberal, centrist liberal, and he's moved pretty firmly into the right. Uh, and you see that reflected in this new book where he says, once upon a time, I didn't think of postmodern identity politics as a species of Marxism. Uh, now I do. So it really is the same old boogeyman just dressed up in new clothes. That's putting it simply, but that's the thesis, right? Uh, but like one of the things that I think was really interesting about uh, the Phenom book, beyond just, again, talking about the kind of psychic wounds that are imposed by racialization... Uh, Is the fact that Fanon consistently points out that for a lot of white people, a significant privilege that they enjoy is precisely the fact that they don't have to be cognizant of race, Uh, that they can try to see the world through race neutral eyes, uh, and they kind of project this expectation onto other people, even when they're not being expressly bigoted. Uh, Whereas to be a racialized person is to constantly need to see the world through that kind of lens, precisely because it impacts you so profoundly from birth onwards. Uh, And I think that's important when we think even about some well-meaning liberal personalities who will say, look, I'm not a racist. I just want everyone to be looked at you know, equally, uh, regardless of skin color. Uh, there's a really kind of potent critique of that attitude here, uh, both phenomenological and political.
2: And the way you can tell that there's um, a sort of dialectical, kind of Marxist dialectic being applied here in a post-colonial framework, which is one of the sort of innovations that Fanon makes is th- is that there's a dialectic between the sort of colonizer and the colonized, uh, national culture of the colonizer and the national culture of the colonized, you know, one one be one dominating and one being erased. And then the sort of artistic, like this is one of the interesting things he focuses on, is is the kind of cultural <clears throat> production of of the of the dominated people. And another very interesting thing. That goes along with that is the activities of the intellectual class and the sorts of alliances that they form he says that you know first of all they go over to the colonizers and and, the, and then as a as a kind of incoate inchoate national consciousness starts to emerge the, 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 they go back over to the side of the people where there's an audience again it, it, there's a sort of dialectical progression to these revolutionary struggles Except the revolutionary struggle is now framed not in terms of a kind of capitalist overthrow, not simply, but in terms of, in terms of achieving national consciousness in an international context for peoples who are formally colonized and struggling against, uh, struggling to, to throw off the shackles of that colonial history.